Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, Unravel Global Clinical Complexities in Head and Neck Cancers, Identifying Approaches to Improve Outcomes with Manageable Toxicities, is provided by Agile. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. So welcome to this uh, global educational activity in squamous cell carcinoma for head and neck. Worldwide, head and neck cancers account for approximately 900,000 cases annually with an increasing mortality rate with a five-year survival rate at less than 50%. The need for both safe and effective treatments is imperative. This is me on Rich MD, and I am Dr. Joel Giguet. And I'm Dr. Kevin Harrington. Squamous cell carcinoma of head and neck are a complex group of cancers. Where the prevalence is low, the mortality rate is high, and there are certainly some unmet needs. So, Dr. Harrington, can you give us a little background information of squamous cell head and neck carcinoma and tell us what some of those unmet needs are? Thanks, Joel. You're absolutely right. With nearly 400,000 deaths every year from head and neck cancer, there really is a desperate need for us to improve treatment outcomes. And I think we can think of this in many different ways. So at the time of treatment of newly diagnosed cancer, there are many places in the world where the provision of surgery or radiation resources in order to offer curative treatment at the very outset for patients is not as good as we would like it to be. And unfortunately, that can lead to an increased burden of recurrent or metastatic disease. And even when we think about recurrent and metastatic disease, we know that historically the best we've been able to achieve until the last few years has been a median overall survival of between seven and 10 months. And again, that's a fairly abysmal outcome for our patients. We've seen within the last decade, that the use of targeted treatment options, including anti-EGFR therapies such as cetuximab, have moved the goalposts on that and have improved those outcomes. And more recently, we are seeing further benefits with immuno-oncology drugs. But even so, many patients receiving immuno-oncology drugs will fail to derive benefit or will ultimately progress. And again, we need to focus our thoughts on the use of combination treatments, including chemotherapy and anti-EGFR targeted drugs, in order to improve outcomes for those patients. So I think there are still many challenges left in front of us. We have more option now to treat these patients, but there are many challenges in front of us, and we need to improve the efficacy and the safety of our treatment for these patients. Balancing safety and efficacy when selecting the treatment option is an art. Dr. Harrington, how would you approach treatment-related toxicities? If we think in terms of the patients for whom we're not going to use immuno-oncology drugs in the first line, those patients will receive cytotoxic chemotherapy with or without an additional anti-EGFR antibody such as cetuximab. Now, we know that those regimens are associated with quite appreciable toxicity, and that can have an impact on the patient's quality of life, while at the same time, hopefully delivering to them a treatment response that makes their disease better. And of course, that can improve their quality of life. So I think one of the things that we have to think about is how do we manage those toxicities around drugs such as cetuximab? And of course, with algorithms 
and with a lot of experience now, we've become very good at managing some of the skin toxicities, the gastrointestinal toxicities, to make this much more manageable. I think regimens that contain 5-fluorouracil remain for many patients a problem, and that's why I think the evolution towards combinations which include docetaxel, platinum and cetuximab, for example, the TP extreme regimen, that really represents a very interesting direction of travel, both in terms of its deliverability, its convenience, four cycles instead of six cycles with the extreme regimen, and the avoidance of 5-FU-related toxicities. From my perspective, the data for TP extreme, even though not necessarily showing an improvement in survival outcomes, represents a very interesting approach. And certainly, there is increasing interest in the use of taxane-based regimens, including, as we may discuss subsequently, in combination with immuno-oncology drugs. So I think there's a great change happening in the way we think about how to treat patients in first line and beyond. Maybe you could give some further perspectives, Joel, because I know that you have very significant experience of using regimens such as TP Extreme, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. The experience of TPEX regimen using docetaxel instead of 5-EFU for many years now, after the first phase two and now the, with the results of the TP Extreme trial, we have great experience of this convenient for fit patients. And this regimen is in these conditions well tolerated. And as you said, more convenient than the standard platinum 5-EFU cetuximab conventional combination. And for the patients, for the teams, to limit for cycles, limit the toxicity of this regimen. And as you know, also the doses of cisplatine reduced inside the TPEX regimen compared to the standard extreme regimen. And this explains also the lower toxicity and the improvement in quality of life that we observed especially in the real life. As you said, we use also other combination using Texan in a second line or for unfit patient. When treating patients with adenic squamous cancer, especially in a recurrent or metastatic setting, the incorporation of current and emerging evidence into clinical practice is key. Dr. Ayrton, how do you treat patients with Taxanes in combination with platinums or monoclonal antibodies, and will this combination of taxane and monoclonal antibodies have a future role in recurrent metastatic uh, squamous cell and neck carcinoma? For those just listening, you are listening to see me on Rich MD. I'm Dr. Joel Gigue, and here with me today is Dr. Kevin Harrington. We are just about to discuss the delicate balance of efficacy and tolerability of treatment options in patients with squamous cell and adenic carcinoma. Well, Joel, I think this is a really important and interesting point. I think you and I can probably agree that our least favorite drug for prescribing to patients is 5-fluorouracil. It is inconvenient, I think is not the most effective drug we have at our disposal, and it's associated with quite appreciable toxicity. So I think movement away from the use of 5-FU or 5-SU-based treatment regimens is to be encouraged, and certainly I'm very keen to see research in that area. I think we do have data, as you've so nicely discussed, around the use of TPEX, TPEX extreme-type regimens, 
where the use of a taxane instead of 5-FU gets us into a much better position. I think the taxanes, paclitaxel, docetaxel, lend themselves very nicely to combinations with carboplatin and with other drugs such as cetuximab. They lend themselves to weekly use, which is convenient for patients and for clinicians. And I think that we're going to see an increasing emphasis on these drugs. And I hope that we will see increasing numbers of clinical trials reporting in this area, because certainly in my own practice in the United Kingdom, we can only prescribe these drugs based on published evidence. And so we need that evidence to justify the use of these regimens. I think another area that is very interesting and the use perhaps of drugs such as cetuximab, and this is in the second and greater line setting at the moment, is the use of cetuximab as a means of accentuating the activity of immuno-oncology drugs. And I'm particularly interested, for instance, in the Interlink-1 protocol, where the use of an immune checkpoint inhibitor now targeting NK cells, trying to promote antibody-directed cellular cytotoxicity or phagocytosis, is a really interesting way of bringing another cell, the NK cell, into the therapeutic regimen for patients with head and neck cancer. So I think those sorts of activities are particularly interesting. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts around this, what opportunities exist in this space. If we could have chemo-free, very effective combination, it'd be very nice for our patients. And I agree that we had the first results of studies combining an IO agent plus cetuximab, for example, with nivolumab or avelumab. And these preliminary results seem very promising. Another point comes from a different study, especially from the tip extreme trial. Looking at the sequence taxan-based regimens such as TPEX followed by IO agent in second line, we observed a very promising median overall survival, 22 moles. And that was also observed retrospective studies conducted in many centers in France. This data opened the question of uh, the synergistic effect between taxans and IO agents. As we know, the synergistic effect between Texan and TGFR, cetuximab, and also what could be the best and effective sequence in terms of combination. And is it a Texan followed by IO agent of the contrary, or in the meantime, just after the first cycles of chemo? Dr. Harrington, can you elaborate on the current treatment guidelines and how you individualize a patient's treatment plan? I think we shouldn't forget that this is what we're trained to do. Every time we select treatment for a patient, we're taking into account the, the individual requirements of those patients. But I think we've gone further now with some of the markers that we have. And in particular, in the first line setting, we use routinely now the PDL1 CPS within the tumor as a means of deciding whether or not that patient is eligible to receive immuno-oncology drugs, for instance, pembrolizumab in the first line, based around a CPS of greater than or equal to one. But of course, we will always factor into this the general condition of the patient, the overall burden of disease, the presence of symptoms that they may have in making a decision between single agent immunotherapy or immunotherapy in combination with cytotoxic chemotherapy. Now, the PDL1 test itself, as I'm sure you will agree, 
is an imperfect way of selecting patients for specific treatment, but it's the best that we have at the moment. I would hope that in the not too distant future, we'll have better markers that will tell us who can and who cannot most likely benefit from individual treatment choices, cytotoxic drugs, immunotherapy, combinations of those. And of course, at all times, we have to think in terms of the general condition of the patient and how we balance the efficacy of treatment with the likely toxicity and what the overall output of that treatment will be, both in terms of disease control and quality of life. So it remains a complex equation, something that we juggle on a daily basis in our practice. And again, Joel, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts, because I'm sure you have similar but maybe slightly different approaches to this. We, we need to have a clear and a careful evaluation of our patients before making a decision especially in first line, we have many clinical factors that are very important to make this decision, best treatment to propose to our patients. Can you share your one take-home message with our audience? Joel, I think the single message I'd like to leave the audience with, in the midst of this IO era, we mustn't forget that cytotoxic chemotherapy and anti-EGFR therapies have a significant place to play in the treatment of our patients. And again, I would emphasize the fact that where we need a rapid response, that we should consider the possibility of using taxane, platin, and cetuximab-based regimens, potentially with the avoidance of 5-fluorouracil as a means of optimizing care for our patients. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. I want to thank our audience for listening and thank you, Dr. Harrington, for joining me and for sharing all your valuable insights. Joel, as always, it was a pleasure to speak with you and I look forward to seeing you in the not-too-distant future. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Agile. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com agile. Thank you for listening.